before we start, if you could say your first and last name to make sure it's pronounced right and give your pronouns, that would be great. My name is Samantha Rayner and my pronouns are she, her. Hello and welcome to Shelf Healing, UCL's bibliotherapy podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Markwick. Our guest today is Dr. Samantha Rayner. Sam is the Vice Dean of Wellbeing for the Faculty of the Arts and Humanities at the University College London. She is a lecturer and researcher of book history at UCL. Her special interests include the culture of bookselling, publishing archives and paratexts, and has taught on medieval literature courses with a specialism in medieval and Arthurian texts. Sam is a member of the AHRC Peer Review Panel and is co-chair for the Bookselling Research Network and of the Bloomsbury Chapter, is the deputy editor for the Journal of the International Arthurian Society and is a general editor with Cambridge University Press. Sam is also the head of the Shelf Healing Project. First question to get us started is nice and easy. Do you feel that reading is therapeutic? Well, hi, Rebecca, and thank you for that lovely introduction. Yes, absolutely. Of course, I do think that reading is therapeutic. I've managed to make a whole career out of having reading at the core of what I do, not just in my private life, but also in my professional life. So yes, in short, reading is definitely therapeutic. What kind of books do you reach for when you want to relax or improve your mental well-being? Ooh, that's that's a good question. Um, and as somebody that enjoys books a lot, and this might be quite a long answer. So I suppose it depends what mood I'm in and what kind of well-being situation I might need to help myself with. Georgia Hare is the first author that comes to mind. So Georgia Hare is probably my fail-safe. Like reading a George at Herbert will pretty much fix any mood you're in, you know, whether you're just feeling ill under the weather, you just feel stressed and you want something to take you into another place. George at Hair is my go-to comfort, ultimate comfort book. But there might be some times when I, I really enjoy reading poetry books as well. So I find poetry for that time when your, your mind is really so full of stuff that you, you just can't face reading long bits of text but I do really enjoy poetry. So I have quite a large poetry book selection and I'm a farmer's daughter. So um, poems about nature, particularly writing about nature. And there's been quite a lot of really lovely books written in the last few years about, you know, farming and the wilding one, for instance, I love that, you know, books that talk about the benefits that actually nature can give to your well-being as well. So even when I haven't got time to go out and get some fresh air and walk in the countryside, it's the combination of that in a book that for me can can really, you know, give me a, a, a mental boost. Yeah, historical fiction as a genre I really enjoy. A fantasy, I'm a big fantasy writer as well. So sometimes, you know, you're in the mood for a big fat book, like a big fantasy epic. So people like Robin Hobbs, a uh, big fan of, of her books and yeah, which I came to by, by Tolkien and, and now have discovered people like her. So yeah, a, a big fat epic is often a good well-being tonic as well. And yeah, I suppose because it's my day job, just keeping up with what's currently on the bestseller list. So I never have to feel guilty about going out and buying a book because I can always justify it as research for teaching purposes. So recently, things like Normal People, you know, because I wanted to see what all the fuss was about, um, books like that that are in the in the charts. Not so much maybe for well, but well, maybe that's professional well-being to make sure that I'm up, you know, on top of where publishing is at the moment. Does that answer the question? It does. Good. <laughs> Very comprehensively. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> is there a specific time or place that you read? 
Not really. I suppose whenever I can is the short answer again. Um, at the moment, in the last sort of few months, because of COVID, there's been less chance to do reading. So for my academic reading, I have a couple of my favourite places. So one of the places I love to go and read and for work purposes is the University Library at Cambridge, which is sort of its purpose built for readers. <laughs> and it's just it is one of my happy places. But otherwise, at home, I've, I've got a, a lovely, small, cosy lounge that I've made sort of very hooger um, with all my throws and twinkly lights and things and yeah evenings and weekends there's that time isn't there if you can hit that sweet spot when especially at this time of year when you can cuddle up on the sofa with a book a cat a blanket and some yeah and a cup of tea so yeah mostly at the weekends at the moment that's when I find I get a little time of respite to do some reading and here's a question that I just have to ask do you have any beautiful books? Well, I do have some beautiful books. I'm not, it's, it's a bit like, it's a, it's a sort of a personal thing, isn't it? It's, it's what do you mean by beautiful? They might be beautiful to me, but nobody else might find them beautiful. So I am, I do have my most precious book <laughs> is not a very valuable book. It's a very battered old copy of the Penguin Selected Poems of Gerard Manley Hopkins which I had when I was a, an A-level student at school. And it's got all my meticulous notes in, the cover's a bit torn, it's all bent and battered. But it means so much to me because, not only because I love the poems, I remember that revelation of thinking, oh my goodness, this is a poet, it just blows my mind. But also because of all the memories of being back at school during that time, and they were two very happy years for me being in the sixth form. So it's got all those memories bound up in it as well. So of all the books I've got, if if there was a fire in the house, I would probably run to, to get that one above the others. I don't have any like valuable first editions or things, but I do like collecting well-designed books. So it won't surprise you to know that I've got quite a collection of old penguins <laughs> and also new ones as well so the ones with the Coralie Bickford Smith covers the pocket penguins I collect them so I'm yeah I'm a, a bit of a sucker for a, a collection thing um, so I love the author Dorothy Dunnett who is by the way the best historical writer probably even best than Georgia Hare although don't say don't know why I said that <laughs> They are big, epic, fat books, but you need to have your brain switched on because they're full of historical detail. They're not a light comfort read. They're a, I want to get into this period. But they recently reissued those with the new jackets in. And even though I've already got two sets of Dorothy Dunsford's, I had to go and buy the new set because I like to collect them. And they are, they, you know, again, they're books, I suppose, that mean something to me. So I have, yeah, I have sections, but nothing I'm afraid valuably exciting <laughs> it doesn't stop them being beautiful exactly exactly are there any works that you return to over and over again like comfort food but in book form yes so uh, we've already mentioned georgia hair so maybe i won't i won't pick on her again funnily enough it's uh, but it's old books again it's books that so uh, it's historical fiction but authors like margaret campbell barnes or anya seaton yeah, books like Anya Seaton's Catherine, which I have read so many times, I probably don't really need to read it anymore because I practically know what's coming up in every chapter. But there's something about knowing a book that well that when you pick it up, it is 
it's just easy and familiar and good somehow you just you just lose yourself in it completely and I, I think that's what it is about historical fiction that appeals to me that you do disappear into a different world so yeah it would be it's in there's something about the vintage book as well that again takes you away from the present so it's it's mostly those old paperbacks that I pick up and escape from. What do you think is that draws you back to your historical fiction, your Georgette Hare, Catherine? Is it nostalgia or a sense of old friends? Is it the plotting or the setting or the characters or something else entirely? Ooh, what is it? I don't know whether I've really thought about that before. I know when I was little, it was my grandmother who used to encourage me to go to the library. And she was the one that set me off on things like, so Anne of Green Gables, I still remember. We used to go every week and get the, the latest book in the series that the library had. And she was the one also that introduced me to Anya Seaton's Catherine. And actually, if I think about it, that's probably where my love of medieval literature comes from, because it's all about Catherine Swinford, who was wife to the Duke of Gaunt. And Catherine Swinford's sister was married to Geoffrey Chaucer. So Chaucer figures in this book, and it's all about sort of medieval London and England of the time. And I think it just fascinated me as a way of learning about history. And I know all the historical details are not absolutely 100% accurate, but you still end up getting some sense of who the kings and queens were, what kind of battles were going on, what the political and social context were. And for me, that's just a lovely, I suppose it's... (sighs) Yeah, I mean, it's true escapism. In the same way, I suppose, I like fantasy. It's just taking you into something that is not real it's not now it, I can't compare it I can't let what's happening now sort of crowd in on that so yeah I'm a, I am a big fan of historical well as you can tell historical fiction I do enjoy it a lot <laughs> it's good I like a bit of historical fiction with such strange new online schedules of lectures and research have you found it hard to fit in your personal reading for your mental well-being yes I have Rebecca I'm not gonna lie it's been very hard um, yeah and I suppose having this new role as 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 well-being person has made me more conscious of that too but there's also the sense that we are all of us trying to cope with this horrible word that keeps being overused, unprecedented um, circumstances and times. And so, you know, we're all doing the best that we can. I try and my main fault in the evening now is, is, you know, going up after dinner and instead of sitting with a book, I will just sit obsessively on my iPad and check my emails and try and do a bit more work and a bit more work. And then you're too tired and you're just falling asleep. And I know what I should do is just, put the iPad away in a different room and just go back to reading because I'm sure that would help more. So I'm going to try and do that. But yes, we should all turn more to books and less to screens because if nothing else, these months of doing everything online just teaches you how how hard it is on your eyes and your head as well somehow. It's it's hard work doing everything on the screen. Mm. As a book historian, does discovering the life and history of a book help with your mental well-being? Yes. <laughs> so this goes back to the oh my goodness one of the hardest things about this covid situation is not being able to go in archives at the moment and investigate all the history of the book so some of my happiest times have been in places like the penguin archive down at bristol university and discovering something 
random about the history of a book that nobody has has found before because it's hidden in a you know an odd memo that's just been tucked away in a folder that nobody really knew the rest of the story and suddenly you've got you know what that jigsaw piece fits into you know in the bigger picture so I love that detective work there is you know it it and it may not be world-changing stuff that you find out but there's something so wonderful about putting that story together and realizing that any text is is a composite of lots of people like palimpsests in time as you know layer upon layer of different editors and readers and input and designers and incarnations of specifically canonical texts you know and how they come to the reader yeah it's awesome well sorry that's me gushing a bit but I mean it really is fantastic (laughs) you can gush Sam gush as much as you like (laughs) (laughs) you are the vice dean of well-being for the faculty and are the originator of the idea that became shelf healing what drew you to bibliotherapy and creating the project? It's always been there, quite simply. I mean, probably you can tell from from the answers that I've given you already. This this thread of reading and and the knowledge of of what it can give you and how it can help when you're feeling different things or you're in different situations and you can find something that somebody else has read that connects to you and helps to. Put the put things in perspective, or at least make you feel that you're not alone. You know that somebody else has been through this, or you know, nothing is new. It's it, and it's okay. So it might be really rubbish at the moment, but you know, it will it will change again. And just as it has sort of hundreds of years ago, people were moaning about the same things then. And look, we're we're in 2020. Nothing much has changed. So it's part of, I suppose, what I thought when I when the role came up knowing how much you know I enjoy reading and that most people do and actually following all the media attention over the past few months about the importance of bookshops you know there's been a lot of attention to whether bookshops count as essential retail outlets and I just think that's fascinating that it's become such a hot topic and bookshops have fought hard to get books into the hands of their readers and become much more innovative about ways to to sell online during this period so I'm hoping that because it's something that I have experience of, that that might be something that as the first person in this role for the faculty, I can carve out this space with the UCL publishing students because, you know, you guys all have a lot more experience. You all bring another layer of experience to this project as well. And it's it's a way of us doing something really positive and concrete and we can do this. We can get on and do that now. And that's quite exciting. I, I really am quite excited about this project. So am I. It's, it's all coming together really nicely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you keep a commonplace book in the form of a blog. Do you find this aspect of sort of regular blogging, journaling helps reduce anxiety and improve your mental health? I, I do. So I haven't put m- many posts on for a long while again. But when I do, there is something... I might be to do with that jigsaw thing I said about being in the archive and putting the stories together. But there's something about giving yourself that space to tell that story of that reading experience. I think the last one I put was about a book called Abelard, Abelard and Eloise, a Peter Waddle uh, novel, again, a, a sort of vintage novel that I'd found. And then linking that to Melvin Bragg's, we just written a book in the last few years about the same couple. And of course, he's a medieval legend. So that made me think about all the connections. And a blog space is a really good way of putting sort of putting all that stuff 
and I, I don't have to worry too much about it being terribly academic because it's just for me. It's just so I remember all these things. I don't want to lose all them in the, you know, flotsam and jetsam of what's going on in my head. So, yeah, I think it's a really it's a really great way of putting order on things. It, it's an ordering thing. And there's something quite calming and therapeutic about ordering your thoughts in that way. Yeah. Lovely. And as a medievalist and Arthurian specialist, I cannot finish without asking you for your favourite medieval Arthurian text and why you love it so much. Oh. Putting you on the spot, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) My favourite Arthurian text. Oh. Well, can I cheat a bit and say Mallory's La Morte d'Arthur? pretty much got all of the stories in it it does <laughs> apart from Sir Gawain and the Green Knight which would be my I suppose it would be a kind of a tie between those two because they're both beautiful oh and Pearl as well I do like Pearl does that count many village yeah oh and Duchess oh. you see I think it's impossible <laughs> I think I have to go for Mallory's and Mort D'Arthur just because it's got so much in it and that will cover so many different things <laughs> But it's hard. That was a mean question. <laughs> I had to ask. Oh, but I have a hard question in there. Yeah. Um, my personal favourite, if you haven't guessed, is Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. I have so many copies of that book. Yes. I just, I just love the the change in the character throughout, and to have that in such depth and detail in a medieval text, I think, is so impressive. The fact that he he's a totally different person at the end than he was yeah. at the beginning. Um, and it makes me sad that we do not know who actually wrote it. It makes me so sad. I know. At least, and that's, again, that's one of those detective stories that I, sadly, I'm not sure we ever will find that missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle. But maybe that's part of the mystery of it. It's what makes it so special. You know, that part of the, that magical sort of aspect. Mm. I do have an American friend that I did my PhD with, who reads the whole of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight aloud every year after Christmas in that period, you know, the 12 12 days of Christmas, every year. (laughs) And I just think that's such a wonderful tradition to have, to love a story that much. But he says, you know, always it's something that sets him up for the new year. It's, It's that kind of rhythm. So again, I think that's just another example of how books, no matter how old they are, can help you cope with what lies ahead. Yeah. Most definitely. I am going to put all of the books and the authors that you've mentioned into the show notes so our listeners can find them and give them a read. Okay. Heavy on the historical fiction this this episode, which is lovely. Yes. I did call Dorothy Dunnett in, didn't I? Dorothy Dunnett's the best historical writer. (laughs) (laughs) Undervalued by everybody because they think she's got a a name that means that she must be a bodice ripper, but no, very, very good historical writer. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for making time in your very busy schedule for coming on to the Shelf Healing interview podcast. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and asking you tricky questions. Yes. Thanks, Rebecca, for those. They were (laughs) quite tricky. It's hard to talk about books without like missing things. I'm sure I'm going to go off now and think of all the books I should have mentioned, but thank you very much. Anyway, it's always always lovely to have the opportunity to chat books. That's the end of another wonderful interview with Dr. Samantha Rayner. I will be back next week with another episode. 
Thanks, as always, to Nicholas Patrick for our music and to Luke Montgomery, who does the transcripts for the Shelf Healing interviews.